Colossians chapter 3. This evening we're going to be looking at verses 5 to 11. Verses 5 to 11. And we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 11. Colossians chapter 3, let us hear God's word. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived, in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all things, all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek, nor Jew, circumcised, nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all, and in all. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. This morning, we are looking at why we should be heavenly minded. Why we should be heavenly minded. But this evening, we're going to be looking at what it means to be heavenly minded. What it means to have this reality lived out in our lives. It's possible to think we are heavenly minded. But unknowingly, we are really earthly minded. Or at least in many areas. We may think that because we are peaceful people, which is a good thing by the way. We don't like conflict and perhaps we don't like others, we we like others at church. Then we are heavenly minded. And these characteristics are good things in and of themselves. It is good to be at peace. It is good to seek the blessings of others. But there's more to it than that. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer prayed this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6.10 What does that mean? What does that mean? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that look like lived out in our lives? Because the longer you're a Christian, the more you will see many people professing to believe in Jesus Christ, but it not being a reality in their lives. What does it look like to have heaven, the will of heaven, done on earth as it is spoken here? To be lived out in a fallen, 
world hostile to the rule of heaven. We have to ask ourselves, is it constant peace on this earth? And we would have to say no. It is not constant peace. Peace in our hearts, yes, the past is all understanding. But at the same time, since the fall of Adam, there has been a war. Enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Between the church, the bride of Christ, and those who do not follow God. Those who follow the serpent. The world, the flesh, and the devil are at odds with this rule of heaven. Against heaven coming. The world, the flesh, and the devil do not want the kingdom to come. They don't want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is war. And with any war, there are casualties. There is fighting. And there's death. This is often something modern day evangelicalism hides from the new believer. I don't know if you've ever heard gospel presentations such as this. Come to Christ and all your problems will be over. Our messages to that effect. The wrath of God is appeased against you dear believer. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ. And from that point of view it is true. From the wrath of God point of view, yes, your life is hid with Christ. And if we just look at that alone, your problems are over. But the wrath of the world and Satan are still there. But relatively, but for a moment. Your flesh also is a problem. Paul wrote of this struggle of the flesh That every believer in Jesus Christ has. For I delight in the law of God. According to the inward man. But I see another law in my members. Warring against the law of my mind. And bringing me into captivity. To the law of sin. Which is in my members. Oh wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death. Romans 7.22-24. And what do we do with these members. With this heavenly minded mindset. What does it look like when we follow the rule of heaven. The wisdom of heaven. Rejecting the supposed wisdom of this world. It's not easy. And it comes with saying and denying. Many things that come naturally to us. We're going to look at four of them here this evening. What it means to be. Heavenly minded. Being heavenly minded means first of all. Denying the source of selfishness. Denying the source of selfishness. In Colossians chapter chapter 3 verse 5. Therefore put to death your members. Which are on the earth. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Your members. Literally part of the human body. Or you could even think a limb. A limb. Obviously this is not calling for physical harm. Obviously this is not literally doing harm to yourself. The, the context is very very clear. 
of examples of what your members produce. Fornication and clean is passion. This is not just simply physical things. But this is a forceful term. A killing or executing of part of ourselves. It's not just something to play a game with. It's very serious. It's not a mild term. It's not something to be taken lightly. Like we so often can sadly do. Paul spoke this way in a a letter to the Romans. Which says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Very, very forcefully. If you live by the flesh, you will die. You have to go to war with our flesh. Not giving it any air to breathe. And not feeding it. It does not mean we neglect our flesh in some kind of monastic way. That if we harm ourselves in some physical way that this will help us Paul is very very clear in Colossians chapter 2 this will not help in the previous chapter it says in verse 21 and 22 in Colossians 2 uh, starting verse 20 therefore if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations and here's some of the regulations that they were subjecting themselves to do not touch Do not taste, do not handle. And it appears that they're thinking that this will help them overcome their problems. Their problems regarding sin. Verse 22, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body. But they are of no value. They're of no value. Against the indulgence of the flesh. And how would they have thought that? Well, the philosophy and the wisdom of those around them of the day were saying, no, 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 here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. And we know later in, in church history when monasteries would come up and they would, you know, a lot of these practices would become much more popular. But these things have no value. These things have no value for putting to death the deeds of the flesh. These physical ways that they were, these superstitious ways they were developing at the time when Paul wrote this to the Colossians. At its core, at its core, putting to death your members is saying a giant no to ourselves and our desires. What we want is to be put to death. It's no to self-rule, but to see where the true ruler is. To, to put God first and put our neighbor before ourselves. What did Jesus say about dying to self? He said in Luke 9:23, and he said to them all, "If anyone desires to come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It's not negotiable. 
To come after Christ is to say no to yourself, to put yourself to death. What was the cross? And we can often think of the cross, sadly, today as kind of jewelry. We, we lose the horror. We lose the, the instrument of death and fear and loathing that it was at the time. When Paul wrote this, it was the scariest way to die. Being nailed to a tree and hanging for hours. The worst way. The, wor- the most humiliating way to die. Pick up that instrument and come and follow me. Jesus is saying, die to yourself. Deny yourself. Which is completely at odds, isn't it, with today's movements. Everybody's today, I need to express myself. In order to fix society's woes and problems, we've got to embrace whatever we are, whatever we feel. That is what we must express ourselves as. And be whatever they claim to be. The great rebelling is taking place in our society as we worship self And we deny ourselves nothing. This is where our society is going. We are getting to the point where there's nothing that can be denied. It is like the perpetual child who has never been told no in its life. Growing up and thinking, ah, I can have everything I want. He is growing up and he has become a tyrant. That's our our culture today. Self-rule, self-serving. And it's... Often called, staggeringly, bravery. And and you see with these people, it is the most miserable existence. It is horrible. You see with these people, if you look among people who profess to be trans or LGBT, the suicide rate is massive, much higher than the regular population. There's a reason for that, because serving self is completely Utterly miserable. Now, it's not just us who sees this. There's also people in the world, police officers, people who serve in the NHS, people who are volunteer workers, people who do all sorts of things where they realize that the greatest joy that they can derive is serving others. You see that with people. Serving self is miserable. Much of that is because we've been created in the image of God. The people who live only for self, embracing who they are and loving, well, who they are, well, loving what they feel that they are, misery. Misery accompanies it. You cannot have everything by serving self, but you can have Christ by denying yourself. If you, say, if you serve self, you do not say no to yourself. To follow after Christ is to put to death self. And unless you do so, you are not heavenly minded. Serving Christ, being heavenly minded, will cost you. And anybody who, who, is, who follows Christ knows this already. It costs you. It costs you Friends, it costs you perhaps promotion. It will cost you. 
That's becoming much more evident as time goes by. But even Christ himself being the perfect example of being heavenly minded. If we, if we want to know what it's like to be heavenly minded on this earth. Look at the, the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Sinless. He was sinless and yet even he denied himself. He came and died. What did he cry out to his father as he prayed? Not my will but thine be done. What else did he pray? He said let this cup pass from me. Not as I will but thine be done. He died for us. His body was put to death for us. We not also. We will never suffer as much as Christ suffered. We'll never endure what he endured. But will we too pick up our cross. And follow him. Will we too put to death our members. That are on the earth. And focus upon heavenly truths. The second thing we're going to look at, what it means to be heavenly minded, it means to be denying the source of sin. So it's denying the source of selfishness, but it's also denying the source of sin. It says, therefore put to death, verse 5, your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which... Is idolatry. Our members. Our limb. We are. A source of bad. Fruit. Sin. Serving self is a source of sin. Fornication. Uncleanness. Passion. Evil desires. Covetousness. When we, covetousness when we deny. When we desire things that do not belong to us. Idols. Other things like this. Sin is law breaking. It is disregard for God. It is an attempt to dethrone God. And place ourselves on that throne. If we, if we say no to God. And we say we're going to serve our own will. Then we say no Lord. I rule here. That is how serious sin is. And that is why sin is vile before the throne of grace. Before the throne of God. And what do we think of sin? Do we hate it and grow in our hatred of it? We cannot fight an enemy you delight in. You cannot Turn from fruit such as these if, you, if it entices you. Now yes, we are we're fallen. And we still have that struggle as we quoted earlier from Romans chapter 7. But at the same time, we have to realize if we are delighting in sin, how can we turn from it? To be heavenly minded is to be putting these sins to death. Our attitude to God matters here. Because what we think of God's honor, if we think of God's glory, and when we think of glory, that word even in the Hebrew is like got the idea of weight, heaviness. Heavy. That's why we come trembling before God when we call upon Him in prayer. It is weighty, it is important, it is not just something we do casually. Does it grieve us to see his name blasphemed? If, we, if we're at work and we're having lunch, an experience I had years ago, and you, you overhear people using the Lord's name in vain, does it 
taught into your heart. His law broken. See, my dear friends, you can only deal with a problem if you see it as a problem. We're so used to sin. Examining the fruit of a tree. But what happens when you love the fruit, the bad fruit of the tree? What happens when there are people who love, and they're professing Christians, who love the sins mentioned here? Across various denominations across our island. There will be people engaging in these sins. And yet claiming to love God. And they love these sins. Not willing to part with them. Well, that is somebody lost in need of Christ. It is earthly thinking. A mind which is a product of this fallen world. Loves the bad fruit mentioned here. Does not want to put to death the deeds of the flesh. But rather wants to put to death the deeds of righteousness. What happened? In Judah. When the prophets came with truth. Did they embrace the truth? What happened when Jeremiah came? Remember this is God's people. When Jeremiah comes preaching. Was he listened to? Was he embraced? Not at all. They were quite willing to put to death the deeds of righteousness. Both sides of the war want to put something to death. The question is, what are you killing? In this war, which side are you on? Okay, none of us are perfect. But as we look at the fruit of our lives, what does it tell us? What will it take for a lost sinner who is not heavenly minded in the world as we witness to people to love good fruit and to hate the fruit that has just been mentioned? Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry. He needs new taste buds. He needs what he desires to change. I don't know if you've ever had a habit of trying different foods from from different countries and maybe the first time you try something it, it just tastes kind of funny but after a while you keep trying it eventually you develop a taste for it what we need to have as we grow as we put to death the deeds of the flesh our taste buds need to change gradually so that we hunger to produce good fruit on, on the tree of our lives we need to grow in our hatred of these things because we know the harm and we know that it does not please God. We can be influenced so much today by worldly movies that can influence our thinking and philosophies that draw us to the commandments and doctrines of men as which Paul was dealing with with the Colossians here. Is our mind filled with Christ, heavenly truth, or is it being filled with with lust, and there are so many opportunities, dear friends, to be filled with lust today. We have smartphones, we have computers. They are such dangerous things if used in the wrong way. The problem is not the technology, the problem is our hearts. 
Is our mind being filled with Christ? Are we not trusting ourselves? It says in Paul writes to the Philippians of what we should be filling our mind with. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Well, we put to death the things that are mentioned, the sins that are mentioned, the source of it, we put to death these things, we also fill up our minds in a positive sense with good things about heaven. Remind yourselves once again of verse 2 Colossians. Set your mind on things above and that's what it looks like. You're setting your minds on things above. You have to put to death these deeds or they will hinder your communication with heaven. Number three now. Denying the source of wrath being heavenly minded means denying the source of wrath. So we've looked at denying the source of selfishness, denying the source of sin, denying the source of wrath. Verses 6 and 7. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Why these things are to be rejected. Are they pleasing before God? Are they pleasing before God? Because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. These things are horrible. And because of these things the sons of disobedience. Those who are living rebellious lifestyles. We need also to put to death these things. Deny these things. These were sins that made the cross necessary. Now I say these sins. All sins. All sins. The smallest sin. The most innocent looking sin. (coughs) Incurs the wrath of God. That made the death of Christ necessary. The only begotten son of God necessary. In order... To save a sinner like you and I. To, to be heavenly minded means to hate what heaven hates. And to bring and what brings on the wrath of heaven. Do we think of this? The wrath of God. The holy hatred of God. The fury. Not just a kind of a, a fury where like, we think of somebody losing their temper. It is because something is so heinous, so disgusting, and so vile that it brings on the full fury of heaven, justly, righteously, and for holy and good reasons. See, even when I say this, and even part of me pulls back a little bit because we don't see ourselves that bad, do we? But for the blood of Christ, dear friends, We would justly be punished with the full fury, the full rage, and the full displeasure of Almighty God for eternity. That's what Christ has saved us from. See, we we think of heaven as if kind of a caric or hell, sorry, as a caricature. 
Well, you're not quite good enough to go to heaven, so we're going to have to put you somewhere else. Here's a place that's not quite as nice as heaven. We think heaven is heaven because God is there, and hell is there because God isn't. The thing is, that is not the full picture. Hell is hell because it is the full justice and rage and fury of God. These things are so serious that they bring eternal death. The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Do we love God? Do we respect and love the laws of heaven? And without this fruit in your life, without this evidence that you've been converted, then you cannot be heavenly minded. And we all display different levels of fruit. Some more, some less. But do we love abominable sins? Do we love the things that the wrath of God is clearly against? And this seems to be more and more of a phenomenon, even within conservative denominations, but more and more people supporting the LGBT movement. There are elements within some conservative denominations around the world marching and supporting various elements of the LGBT movement. Sins that are clearly hated by God and bring on the wrath and displeasure of God. And they believe they're Christians. And there are things that are happening today we would scarcely believe 10 years ago that are coming on. But those people, they are clearly not Christians and they've demonstrated by their lives. Paul writes to the Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walking in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma before God. A sweet smelling aroma. That aroma before God is pleasing. Serving God is an aroma before God. Something that God delights in. But sin is a stench in the nostrils. Of God. And if we don't see this, if if sin is not a stench to us, something that almost gives us this sense of nausea, makes us ill, then we will entertain it and we will hug it and bring it close to us. Does sin grieve us? These things. That you once walked. Paul is warning the Colossians here. Don't return to these things. Don't go back to these things. You see they're they're, they're struggling with the worldly wisdom. And philosophy. They are struggling with these things. And he says because of these things. The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. It's almost like a warning here. And in verse 7. In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Don't go back to these things. Because it's a real danger. Sometimes we can think that because somebody has a very dramatic testimony. They have massive change in their life. Well I've seen a number of people over the years. Who have made massive changes in their life. And I was convinced they were converted. 
And years later, they went back out into the world. Paul is warning the Colossians because he loves them. He cares for them. Don't return to what God hates. Don't take your salvation for granted. No, you cannot lose your salvation. But let us not develop a careless attitude to it either. If you are alive in him. Dear friends, I want to remind you of this. With all what has been said, you will never face this wrath. This displeasure against the sins that are just mentioned here. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will never face this displeasure. You may as a believer face chastisement. Yes. And that can be painful. As a loving father chastens his own son. We know that from Hebrews 12 verses 5 to 8. But you will never face the wrath of God in this sense. If you are in Christ. Remember that. How the love of God has removed this wrath that was owed to us. And that we surely deserved. While we grow in our understanding of the laws of heaven. Let us realize even in our failures. Because I don't want to go on to the next point of people thinking. Because there can be the most tender consciences. That will think, am I a Christian? Even in your greatest failures, dear Christian, Christ paid it all. The fact that you are at this moment thinking about your sin and hating it is a sign your sins have been washed clean. This wrath is gone replaced with delight for you, dear Christian. If you hate what God hates and you love what God loves, that is an evidence that he has done a work in you. And finally then, number four, denying the source of division. Denying the source of division. So we've looked at what it means to be heavenly minded. Denying the source of selfishness. Denying the source of sin. Denying the source of wrath. And finally, number four, denying the source of division. Verses 8 to 11 for this final point. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice. Blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And have put on the new man. Who is renewed in knowledge. According to the image of him. Who created him. Where there is neither Greek. Nor Jew. Circumcised nor uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian. Slave nor free. But Christ is all. And in all. What is the source of wrath is also the source of division. You can look in various different examples in the Bible. Go back to the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. And they sought to make a name for themselves. And that brought on the wrath of God. And that's why we have all the languages we have around the world. The wrath of God came because they sought their own glory. The source of Of wrath is also the source of division. Man seeks to come together in their own way. But true unity. Because we've been created in the image of God. Must come through God. Here in Colossians chapter 3 verse 8. But now now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. 
We have more evidences. Here are the influences of the flesh and earthly thinking. And this stuff comes so naturally to us. We're having to be told to take it off. To put it off. Sin brings about division. It separates people. It separates people. Often when there's issues in in churches, you hear about church splits and you hear about personality issues. And I understand what people mean by that. But at its core, it's sin. At its core, it's sin. Since the fall, there has been division. This, This great war that has taken place between the two seeds, the church and the lost. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. But that division stems from sin. Especially these sins that are mentioned which need to be put off. These sins that come so naturally to us. It must be put off. We don't have to learn how to lie. Children don't have to be learned how to lie. It comes naturally. They have to be taught how to tell the truth and to, to value the truth. And just like if you've done a hard day's work and you're exhausted and you have filthy clothing on you. You must take it off. And clean it. There is a shedding that takes place as we grow in being heavenly minded. And grow in our sanctification. Growing to be different in how we think. In our mentality. In our hearts. In our hands. Growing in in, to be more heavenly minded. Means more fellowship with the saints. Because we love. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ more. Because, dear friends, you're going to share eternity. Look around you. You're going to share eternity with the people here. We're not just, yes, we're going to spend eternity with Christ and in awe of Him. But we will also spend eternity with the saints of God. The love for the saints, it doesn't come naturally to us, does it? So we need to put off these things that cause division. Anger. Anger. How often have I, have many of us, been angry at things that we ought not to be angry with about our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Malice, blasphemy. And we, we think, no, no, no. That, but search your heart, dear friend. Have you thought these things? Have you thought these things against someone you're even very close with? They may not even know what goes through your mind. But these things come naturally to us. And we have to put them to death and deny these things that will cause division within the body. We need to learn to be more like our Heavenly Father. And the more we are like Christ, the more we'll speak the truth. This is why in verse 9 it says, Do not lie to one another. You might think, well, I know that I'm not supposed to lie to people. Why do we have to keep reminding ourselves? Because it comes so naturally to us. It's something we have to keep before our minds. The value of truth and the importance of truth. That even the smallest jot or tittle, no matter what the consequences, we are thinking this is what God wants. I will do this. And it also brings the blessing of unity. The tongue can be used as a weapon. James 3 verse 5 talks about this. Even as the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And 
the longer you live, the more you see rumors spread. It might be a tiny element of truth, a little spark in one part of the forest, and before you know it, the entire forest is ablaze. And what was true and what isn't true is almost impossible to distinguish. Because, what was that old expression? A lie travels twice around the world before the truth can even get its boots on. We like to hear bad things about people and spread them. This is what we need to put off, take off. And this is an active thing that we all have to do because if we're not doing it, we're succumbing to it. This is an area we all need to work on. It doesn't matter how long we've been a Christian. We all struggle with this. And what do we do? We do the opposite. We are to do the opposite. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He talks about love. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Opposite of angry. Thinks no evil. Think of the best of people. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Is that not the complete opposite of anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth? Do not lie one another. What happens when we think... Heavenly thinking, when, we, when our minds are attuned more and more to what God wants, it brings us together. If we want to see greater unity in the churches, greater growth, greater togetherness, it comes only when we're heavenly minded together. It's not going to come any other way. It's not going to come with any scheme. It's not going to come with any clever idea. It's going to come when God's people are more and more in love with God and that they love one another. That he would overcome no matter what your background is. I know people who have come from Republican terrorist backgrounds, have come to Christ and are best friends with people who used to be in the RUC. It doesn't matter your background in Christ. This identity that we share is is greater than anything. As it says in verse 11. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew. Of course these, these divisions still happen. But the most important thing was Christ is all in all. Neither circumcised nor uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. For Christ is all in all. And in this, whether you were a slave master or a slave, you are one in Christ. The most important identity they had was in Christ. And that only came and manifested and showed itself if they were heavenly minded. If they set their mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Because when we fixate upon the things of the earth, we will be more divided. Won't we? And over the last 19-20 months, whatever people's opinions may be, our thoughts need to be on heaven, not the news. 
Our thoughts need to be getting together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't care what people's opinions are. But we should be getting together in prayer and loving each other in whatever way that manifests itself. We've got to do it. Are you heavenly minded as we finish up here? There's all, all of us, none of us have reached completion in this area, have we? None of us have. But are we active in filling our mind with good things from heaven? And in so doing, we put to death these things. These things that come so naturally to us. These things that are so difficult for us. It will lead to a war in our own selfishness. War. Putting to death. This is not some pet we bring in. This is war. None of us are perfect. We all fall short. But let us seek God's help to be more heavenly minded. To set our mind on things above. To live it out so that all may know. So that when people come here. If people come to visit Knock Bracken. Next week or the week after. Whenever it is. That they all know who you serve. That the most important thing that comes out of our lips as we talk. Is about Christ. Nothing else. Do you serve Christ or self? Sin or Christ? And as we looked at earlier. You cannot serve two masters. Your back will be turned to one. Either sin or the Lord. Don't turn back to this earth. Paul warns the Corinthians. Or the Colossians sorry. In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. All of us walked according to these things. We may not remember our conversion or what age we were when we were converted. But we all walked according to them at one point. We were once slaved until Christ set us free. Don't turn back to this earth when heaven is our home. Amen.